If you would, please take a copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, we'll read the whole chapter in a moment. Uh, Unless God changes my mind, this is our last sermon in Genesis for the foreseeable future. We'll look at Ephesians next, mostly chapter 4. That'll last us till around Advent. I love Genesis. After 66 chapters of Isaiah, I, I thought that we needed more exposure to more sections of scripture. So that's the method behind the madness. But uh, let's finish our time in Genesis by looking at Genesis chapter four. Hear now God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Now Adam knew his wife, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen if you do well? Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also was born a son and he called his name Enosh. 
At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Thus ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's ask now his blessing upon his word. Let's pray. Oh God, our God, we come to you. We come to you for understanding. We come to you for light. Would you remove the veil from over our eyes that we might see clearly? In your light, we see light. So let us see light and truth. Let us see our sin, but also see our great Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. If Genesis 2 is the best of times, then Genesis 4 may be the worst of times. You might say it's a tale of two men, not only Cain and Abel, but also Adam before the fall versus Lamech after the fall. Tale of two men, tale of two poems even. At last, bone of my bones, you read in Genesis 2. And here in Genesis 4, you read on a slightly different note, wives of Lamech, listen to me. I've killed a man, even a young man. You see, Cain begets Lamech, who is even more emo. Lamech makes a mockery of marriage, which Adam had extolled, and he makes a boast out of vengeance and violence. Lamech, the seventh generation in Cain's line, seems to be the apex of evil. So what, you might say? What do I have in common with Lamech, with Cain, with all these people? Well, aren't we all, like them, descendants of Adam and Eve? If you trace it back far enough, And isn't Satan ready to tempt us all? Isn't sin crouching at our door, just like it was for Cain? Isn't sin's desire for us? And aren't we called to rule over it, to put it to death instead of our brother? Our sins are many, and they will grow if we let them. But God's mercy is more, and it will make us new if we receive it, if we embrace it. So... Six points this morning. Buckle up. Here we go. Number one, sin wins. Sin wins in verses one through seven. It wins this round anyway. Sin required the banishment of Adam and Eve from Eden, but it didn't stop there. After Eve has a baby in verse one, it's, it's hard to know. Is she voicing her faith or her pride? I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Maybe she's rejoicing in the gift of life. Maybe she's boasting in her accomplishment, hard to tell. What we do know, both of her sons, she'll go on to bear another. Both of her sons worked in different industries. Both of them brought an offering to the Lord. Does God approve of Abel? Because his offering involved animals instead of produce. Because blood was shed. Now, many Old Testament sacrifices involved blood. It foreshadowed God's own precious blood that he would shed for us. But But blood isn't mentioned here, is it? The point is not that animals were better than apples. The point is their attitude. Verse 3, Cain brings an offering of fruit. No details about this fruit. Verse 4, Abel brings an offering of animals. What kind of animals? The firstborn. And, And what cut of the meat did he bring? Was this flank steak? Was this ground lamb meat or something like that? No, it says it was of their fat portions. And you see, fat doesn't really mean fat the way we think of it today. It's not like he trimmed off the fat and ate the good stuff and gave God the leftovers. No, in Old Testament terms, the fat was the good stuff. Abel brought the best because he thought God deserved the best. 
By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice. Hebrews 11, verse 4. See, if you don't believe that God deserves the best, you won't give your best to God. If you don't believe that God is good, that he can supply all you need, then you won't give God your best. You'll hoard it for yourself. And if you don't believe God is good, you'll, you'll probably respond like Cain. You'll assume it's God's fault, not yours, when he doesn't accept your leftovers. Cain is angry. He's angry at God. He's angry at his brother, whom God favors. We talked about that a bit yesterday at the men's retreat. We're very prone to blame God when he doesn't give us what we want, when, when we don't get what we think we deserve. Cain's angry. His face falls. But notice the grace of God, even here. He confronts Cain. He confronts him before his sin has reached full bloom, right? He comes to him. He says, why are you angry? Shouldn't God be the one who's angry in this instance? Why is your face fallen? God says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Literally, God says, will you not be lifted up? It's won't your face, which has fallen, a symbol of how downcast, morose he was acting, won't your face be lifted up? Think of it this way, a la Numbers 6, the benediction we often use. Will not God make his face to shine upon you? Cain has a chance to repent, to seek God's face. He has a choice. Sin is crouching at your door, God says to him. Its desire is for you. God said similar words to Eve in chapter 3, verse 16. Her desire would be contrary to God's design to rule over her husband. Sin is always contrary to God's design. Sin desires Cain, but Cain must rule over it. It's the beginning of what James 1.15 talks about. We read this a few weeks ago. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, spoiler, sin wins this round. Cain gives in to sin. He waters it. He feeds it. He tends it. Sin takes up root in his heart. And when it grows, sin brings forth death. Now, some of you may be, may be hating your sin. You may be trying to rule over it. And I say, good, keep it up. Read Romans 7 until you hate sin, your own sin, as much as Paul does and more. Keep fighting. But some of you may not be putting up a fight at all. And you need to see that sin grabs a hold of you and it gets worse. Your face falls, your anger deepens, and now sin controls you. And God's promise in all this is not, you need to kill sin. You need to get your act together and then God will save you. No, that's not it. God's promise is this. If you want any hope of killing sin in your life, then you need his grace to do it. And the good news also says this, that if that because of God's grace, sin will not win every round. It wins this one, sure, but it will not win every round by God's grace. Sin wins round one. But we also see this, secondly, blood cries out. Blood cries out in verses 8 through 11. Pastors, that's supposed to be good news. It is, let me explain. Sin is winning for now. God warned Cain. Cain didn't respond, not to God, not in words anyway, but, but in action. He speaks to his brother Abel. He rises up. He kills his brother Abel. No warning. 
No provocation, no discussion about why does God like you better than me between the brothers? Nothing like that. No. Think about this. Adam and Eve, they desired immortality. Satan had convinced them that's why they needed to eat the forbidden fruit. They wanted immortality and instead their firstborn brings death into the world. An act of worship descends into bloodshed and violence, as someone has said. So immediately God comes and he, he says to Cain, where is Abel your brother? In verse 9, notice Abel is called Cain's brother seven times in verses 1 through 11. Cain is never called Abel's brother. It's almost as if the author is saying to us that Abel is a brother to Cain. Cain is not a brother to Abel. Cain has forfeited his right, rejected his right to be Abel's brother. John Currid says there's something else going on here. The seed of the serpent is striking the seed of the woman. He's trying to snuff out the promise of Genesis 3.15, the descendant of Eve who by faith would, would come and crush the head of the serpent. That's what's going on here. The snake, the serpent, and his descendants, his spiritual descendants are striking first to prevent the snake crusher from crushing him. If you don't believe that, look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. It says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. John goes on to say, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Cain was of the evil one. He hated his brother, who was righteous. So at this point, again, sin seems to win. Sin even mocks God to his face. Notice what Cain says. Where's your brother Abel? God asks him. Cain says, I do not know. I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? Of course you are. Doesn't all of Scripture point to this? If we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, doesn't that at least include our brother? Cain's response, it's cold, it's hardened. We could say more negative things about it. Among them, there's no repentance here, no remorse. The always quotable Derek Kidner writes this, while Eve had been talked into her sin, Cain will not even have God talk him out of it, nor will he confess it, nor yet accept his punishment. But sin does not have the last word. Verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. <clears throat> sin won't win this round. Who will? Vengeance. Isn't, isn't that what God implies? The blood of Abel, the, the stain on the earth, this smoking gun that convicts Cain. The blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. Just like the blood of martyrs. Revelation 6, will not give God give justice speedily to his elect to cry out to him, as Luke 18 says. Vengeance, justice, it's good news for the downtrodden. It's also a wake-up call to the unjust, to the rebellious, to those who think they can get away with their sin, their rebellion, their oppression. But there's a better word than vengeance. Talking about Hebrews 12, it says to us in verse 22, but you have come 
to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What's he talking about? Abel's blood, it cried out for justice. Spoke the word justice, vengeance, and our good God answers that word. That is good. We should be comforted. But Jesus' blood speaks a better word, does it not? Jesus' blood proclaims mercy to the sinful and the undeserving. It proclaims mercy to the guilty. Sandra McCracken helped rewrite an old hymn. It's titled, Mercy Speaks by Jesus' Blood. The third verse goes like this. Peace of conscience, peace with God, we obtain through Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood speaks solid rest. We believe and we are blessed. We believe and we are blessed. Now, Cain never repented. He never believed. He never received that rest. Thousands, millions have. They have believed. Even some deadbeat murderer named Saul, they have believed. They have received solid rest in the arms of a Savior whose blood was shed for our sin. It receives solid rest. Oh yes, sin wins the first round, but the blood of Abel, even the blood of Jesus cries out. It speaks loud and sweet. It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Mercy speaks by Jesus' blood. And next we see this. The curse carries on. The curse carries on in verses 11 through 14. Cain doesn't get off scot-free here. God says in verses 10 and 11, I'm flipping around so much of my Bible this morning. I got to keep up. Verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your, brother, your brother's blood from your hand. He's cursed. Just like his father, the devil, another murderer, according to John 8, 44. Because he stained the earth with blood, the earth will not yield fruit to him. Instead of being a, a farmer, he will be a fugitive. He'll be a wanderer. That word wanderer in Hebrew, it sounds like Nod, the land of Nod, east of Eden. Verse 16, where Cain eventually settles. <clears throat> For another day, evil lies east of Eden. East, not a good direction. Redemption is found to the west. As someone once said, there's a geography to redemption. We don't have time to unpack that today, but he ends up in Nod. He ends up wandering the earth. That's part of his curse. And still, he doesn't repent. Instead, what does he do? He complains. He laments. That's a kind word for what he does. He laments the circumstances of his sin, his sin. Verse 13, my punishment is more than I can bear. Reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says there, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief, it doesn't lead to repentance. It may lead to lament. It may lead you to complain. It may lead to some kind of self-centered regret, the circumstances but not true repentance. You see that in Cain, don't you? He fears the consequences. You might say sin won round number one, but Cain didn't win. 
just gets worse for him. He despairs. He gets mad. He murders his brother. He fears God, but not in a good way. He hates God. He fears what God will allow. The curse carries on and it gets worse. I've said this before. Obedience is in many ways its own reward. And the converse is also true, right? Sin in some ways is its own punishment. The guilt, the shame, the fear, the consequences. Now at the same time, some of you may be really good at dealing with the guilt, the shame, the fear through self-medication, entertainment, something else. You may have found a way to quiet your conscience. You may sleep well at night. And Psalm 73 acknowledges there are people like this. They die rich and happy despite their evil, seemingly. You may have convinced yourself that you have found the path to sinning without consequence. You can live however you want with no repercussions. By the way, look at what Psalm 73 says about the end for those kind of people. But the simple fact is money, power, clever lies, partial truths. Sure, it can get you out of a lot of trouble in this life on this side of heaven. But at the end of the day, that's a gamble, my friend. You're gambling that none of this stuff in here is true, including Numbers 32, 23. Know for certain that your sin will find you out. You see, God has a very particular set of skills. And his omniscience is a nightmare for people like you who think you can get away with your sin. He will look for you and he will find you. And your only hope is that you grieve your sin. You hate your sin. You hate it enough that it leads you to repentance, which leads to salvation without regret. The curse carries on. And without God's grace, sin gets worse. The consequences get worse. So you might be wondering, why hasn't the world just descended into total chaos, if that's true. If it started this long ago and it gets worse, why haven't we descended into total chaos? It's because of our next point and the one after. Point number four, vengeance saves. Vengeance saves in verses 15 through 17. What am I doing here? Is this shock value with those words? Is this equivocation? Perhaps we should say something like vengeance preserves, but... Nonetheless, let's just explain it. Cain feared vengeance, the vengeance of others. Verse 14, he had killed someone. He was afraid what other people would do. We'll talk about this in a minute, but why are we to think that they were the only brothers of Adam and Eve? Just because they're the only ones that have mentioned. Many years must have passed. Nonetheless, Cain fears the vengeance of others. God responds, verse 15, then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Next, he settles land of Nod. He starts a family. He builds a city, verses 16 and 17. But isn't what we're seeing here, isn't this the grace of God's vengeance? By God's grace, God promises vengeance upon anyone who kills Cain, who would avenge Cain maybe foreshadowing the death penalty that's talked about in Genesis chapter 9. But the vengeance of God, which is a strange act of his grace, allows Cain to live. 
Derek Kidner says, God's concern for the innocent is matched only by his care for the sinner. And of this act of preservation through God's vengeance, the threat of his vengeance through this act of preservation, this is the utmost that mercy can do for the unrepentant. Let's not go too far, right? (laughs) We're not saying Cain is saved among the redeemed that we'll see him in heaven. No, we have no indication of that. We are saying that God graciously spares his life for now, even though Cain has no right to deserve it. Humanly speaking, before God can save us, he must first preserve us, right? If God had struck down Adam and Eve when they ate the fruit, if he had struck down Cain when he murdered Abel, if he had struck down you and me when we committed our first sin at age zero, then how would he preserve a remnant? By his grace. You see, both in the threat of God's vengeance to Cain's enemies and in the patience he shows daily to sinners like us, don't we see a hint of God's further salvation that he holds forth in Christ? 2 Peter 3 says, God is not slow, as some might call it. No, he's patient. He's waiting for you to repent. Romans 2 verse 4 says God's patience, even his kindness, they're meant to lead us to repentance. In Genesis 4, vengeance saves Cain, at least temporarily. Notice Cain never even says thank you. So that's as far as this small s salvation extends. Don't make the same mistake. Don't make the same mistake through ingratitude, through just going on with life. See every act of God's kindness as a chance to turn from sin and turn to your Savior. See every act of his kindness as an opportunity to receive more grace from his hand. There's plenty of grace in this passage, including common grace. We'll talk about that in a moment, which operates even as sin grows and increases. And that's what we see next. Number five, culture advances Culture advances in verses 16 through 24. Now, the word culture isn't always a negative word. We need to know that. But I'm using it mostly that way here. Culture simply means the customs, institutions, achievements of a particular people. Now, don't God's people have good God-honoring customs and patterns of life? I hope so. But here, the culture that advances, it advances in technical achievement. It also advances in, you could say, moral failure. And we're talking about the culture of Cain's descendants in these verses. Yes, Cain was married, possibly before he was banished. And yes, the only explanation that makes sense is that he married his sister. And notice the rest of scripture. Once that was no longer necessary, God clearly prohibited marriage of one's siblings. Adam and Eve, they may have had many more children who aren't mentioned here. Many years have obviously passed between verse 1 and verse 17. And again, Cain builds a city. That could mean just a small settlement. But notice as a side note, briefly, what the Bible says about cities. There's much more than this, but Cain starts cities. Jonah begrudgingly evangelized one, and then God will eventually restore them. Our final home in Revelation 21 and 22, it's described as both a garden and a city. In this city, it gives birth to many generations and much evil. Among the descendants are Enoch 
and Lamech. Notice that Seth has similarly named descendants as well. It's a common name like Smith or Matthew or something like that. But in verse 19, you meet Lamech, a man who lives by sight, by his desires. He wants two wives, so he takes two wives. He wants respect. He wants revenge. So he kills to get what he wants. He boasts of murdering a young man. And of his ridiculously exaggerated vengeance, if God's vengeance upon Cade's enemies is sevenfold, what does Lamech say? Mine is 77-fold. Evil is advancing, is it not? At the same time, it's not all evil all the time. Jabel makes some technological advancements with tents, livestock, agriculture. Verse 20, Jubal, artistic, musical advances. Verse 21, Tubal-Cain creates iron and bronze in verse 22. We are indebted to one of Cain's descendants who is named after Cain, who is somewhat responsible for every metal object we own. What do you think about that? Well, first, Cain's line, which is never mentioned after this, the words of someone else, it is a microcosm of technical prowess and moral failure. Second, we should also see that God allows the rain in the wisdom of this world, to fall on the just and the unjust. We shouldn't be amazed when we meet amazing smarts or amazing social graces and skills in those who reject God's lordship. God is still Lord, even of those who reject him. But he bestows his gifts on whomever he chooses. And he prevents all of us from being as bad as we possibly could be. This is called God's common grace, not because it's substandard, but because it's common to all men. We all receive a measure of his grace. None of us are as bad as we could be. All of us have some gifts, some ability that God has given us. Common grace preserves us, prevents us from being as bad as we could be. We all receive that kind of grace, but not everyone receives his special saving grace. And that's what we see next in our final point. As the culture advances, as evil grows, as various technologies advance, God's remnant is not forgotten. <clears throat> Sixth and finally, the remnant calls. The remnant calls. You see that in verses 25 and 26. Isn't this the way the chapter ends? Isn't this the way God sometimes works? Quietly. Sin seems to win. The curse carries on. Culture, evil advances, and yet the church shall never perish, her dear Lord to defend. The seed of the serpent has murdered righteous Abel. He's built a city. He's fathered more evil ones who have invented both helpful things as well as very unhelpful, unlawful things like polygamy, for example. Romans 1.30, doesn't it tell us that without God, we are inventors of evil? But the seed, the descendant, the offspring of the woman will rise again. God will preserve his bride, his people, his remnant. Look what happens in verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Instead of Abel, not instead of Cain, instead of Abel, the saved by grace through faith line continues. Through this line, if you look at 1 Chronicles 1, Luke 3, verse 23, verse 38, through this line, the snake crusher ultimately comes. 
And then in verse 26, after mentioning a son for Seth, it says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Kidner calls it the first shoot of spiritual growth since Abel. Another author says, you know, the verb here might be passive. It might be that people were called by the name of the Lord. But then again, doesn't that end up in the same place, whether they're calling upon the name of the Lord or being called by the name of the Lord? Because who is it who ultimately calls upon the Lord? Isn't it those who were called out of the darkness and into the light? Don't we love because he first loved us? Oh, sure, none of this is splashy, what's happening with God's people here. Compared to Cain, compared to all the colorful stories that are told about Cain's people, not many of us, you might say, in the vein of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, not many of us were wise like Tubal-Cain. Not many were powerful like Lamech. Not many of us were of noble birth. None of us can boast unless we boast in the Lord. Is that so bad? While the world grows in wickedness, and yes, in technology as well. While the world grows in wickedness, God quietly preserves a people for himself. While the world builds new and bigger cities, God keeps building his church, the only institution that is guaranteed to never fail. While sins become many, his mercy grows even more always preserving, always preparing something better. Genesis 4, the world around you, you may look at it and it may seem like it is, it was the worst of times. My friends, look closer. It's also the best of times. It soon will be. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, We are grateful for all your mercy and grace that you've shown to us. Father, sin is always splashier. It's always more exciting in some ways. It's always leading the evening news, making headlines. We thank you for your quiet faithfulness that preserves your people. We thank you for the quiet way that you are ordering and directing all the affairs of life. It may look quiet at times to us, but that doesn't mean it is, it is without much activity, without much wisdom, without much ordering and directing. So help us to see all the good things you have done for us, all the good things you are doing, all the ways that you are working all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God be with us. Help us to take hold of Christ. Help us to see his good news working in and through us. Help us to take hold of that which is life. We pray it in Jesus' great name. Amen.